Loaded sport. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, God, <laughs> what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just too good. Unbelievable. Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of Loaded Sport. We're recording quite late tonight, so we're going to get stuck in because we have got a lot to be talking about across four different sports. There's so much happening, and we are here yet again to go through it all. Joining me tonight, we have got a full squad. I'm going to bring in Mr. Tom Kemp first, and he is repping. A lovely retro shirt tonight, which we all know by now I'm a massive fan of. So, first of all, how are you? And second of all, talk us through what you're wearing tonight. Well, Mr Dawson, Mr White, and also Man with the Mic. Yeah, I'm repping a retro Barca shirt, as you've just mentioned. I played in this once at Five Side and feel like I did it justice, to be fair. Although, I was wearing a bib, which made it fucking awful and pointless, but what can you do? Um, but, yeah, no, all good. Can I just uh, interject really... there, mate? Yeah, um, yeah you, do whatever, mate. Do whatever. I, 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 I don't know if, you were wet, if you've worn it on multiple occasions, but the five-a-side in which I was there and you wore it, you wore a hoodie for about 90% of the game. So that, for me, <laughs> right, was, was okay. what made it pointless. Fair enough. So I've worn it twice then in that instance, and it's pointless both times. Story of my life. Uh, but, yeah, the reason I'm wearing it is because a lot of us know we've all got partners, we've all got girlfriends in this instance, and they, they steal a lot of your clothing, right? They take hoodies, stuff like that, and it's a pain in the arse. I thought I'd get a bit of revenge. So my partner, she actually got this from her dad. Her dad gave her, gave her this just to lounge about in. She didn't really give a shit about it. And then I saw her wearing it one day, and I said, what the fuck is that? She went, oh, it's a, it's a Barcelona shirt. And I said, when do you wear that? She says, oh, just for lounging around the house. I said, fuck that, I can do it more justice than that. So there you go. I've stole it, and uh, I feel like I've got one back for the team, one back for the boys. But there you go. I'm, I'm good, thank you, mate. All in all, albeit very, very tired. How are you, Dawson? Yes, mate. Very, very tired uh, as well. But I'm ready for this, and no doubt by the end we'll all be fired up and uh, struggle to get to sleep when it comes to bedtime. Uh, next up is the man coined as Mr. White by Kemp, but he is not Walter White. It is, as always, the lovely and glorious Sam. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, Thursday night, ready for the weekend, creeping up on us once again. So, yeah, all is, all is well in the world on these Thursday recordings. Yes, mate. I'm I'm so glad they're back because it is late, but if we were doing this and it was Wednesday now, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. But knowing it's Thursday, it, it gets you through, doesn't it? And uh, last of all, there's a man that I've been in Manchester with today, taking part in a charity five-a-side tournament. He's, uh, he's hurt his knee and he's a bit wounded and it, I'm, I'm not quite sure... Our Aggie, he will get tonight with us if we if we go at him over some subjects. But uh, how are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, mate. I see what you did there. Yeah, just it was good, in, it? the injury, I'll be absolutely fine. Just need to grow up a little bit. Um, bit of headache as well, but there we go. Um, but yeah, otherwise, all good, mate. Yeah, ready to uh, to rock and roll. Well, you've got a headache now, mate. I dread to think where you're going to be in the next 15, 20 minutes once we get stuck into the football section. But before we do that, it is our weekly game of Loyal Man. And this week, the order is Sam, then Ag, then Kemp, then me. So Sam, kick us off with a player and let's see how we get on tonight. Hopefully, it'll be a little bit better than last week's shambles. You know what? It's terrible. I've just, I said about 10 minutes ago that I'm going to give him an absolute belter one, knowing it's Aggie straight after me. And then that's, that's the last time I've thought about the subjects. And I thought, fuck, I've not actually thought of a player that I'm going to do. So right now, the first player that's coming into the top of my head, don't know why he's there, but for some reason, Jermaine Genus is there. So we'll go with him. Newcastle United. United. Uh, Newcastle. Yeah, he didn't hesitate on that one, did he? I'm <coughs> going to go with Obifemi Martins. 
Oh, West Ham. Mark Sam Noble. Noble. <laughs> yeah, Martin did it. We've Martin got him. Did it play for West Ham? Hey, you motherfucker! Get in, <laughs> mate. I can't go bullshit on that, can I? You know, funniest thing is there as well. I knew I'm offending Martin's a bullshit, but I didn't want to say anything because I wanted Sam to stitch out. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it was Sam's game, wasn't it? He's got to do it. That's it, boys. We've done it. We've got a full yeah. round. I've done Aggie, so I'm, I'm buzzing yeah. with that. There we go, big wing, clip it. Right, let's get stuck into football. Now, Kemp, you are a big advocate for not talking about our teams unless it is absolutely necessary. However, I do think on this occasion it is necessary. And I want to pose the question to you, and then I'll get into the stats, and then we'll talk about why. But is there a stadium in England so far this season that is providing more bang for your buck, more action for your money than the SMH Group Stadium of Chesterfield FC, the team that we all predicted. Terrible name. Uh, We'll call it Technique moving forward, but just for reference. But at the start of the season, when we did our season preview, we all predicted Chesterfield to win the league. uh, And so far, they're going very, very well. Uh, Nine games in, uh, no, sorry, 10 games in, eight wins, one draw, one loss. And in their five home games so far this season, They've had four wins and one draw. There's been 23 goals at an average of 4.6 goals a game. And just very quickly to run down those five games, the first game had a 93rd-minute winner for Chesterfield and it finished 4-3. The second game had a 96-minute equaliser from Oldham and pure chaos and pitch invasions to end 1-1. The third game had a 94th-minute winner for Chesterfield that ended 3-2. The fourth game had 90th and 94th-minute goals for Chesterfield that was a 3-1 win. And the fifth game, that's which me and Aggie were in attendance for on Tuesday evening, had a 92nd-minute winner for a 3-2 win. So, Aggie, I'm going to come to you first of all, because you are obviously a Chesterfield fan. Okay, I'll come to you after, mate, but let's set up the, let's set up the conversation. So, Aggie, first of all, the question that I posed, is there a stadium in England currently, right now, that is providing more action, more bang for you, but more value for money than uh, what Chesterfield are doing? And also, what are your thoughts about the uh, the performance in the game that we were at on Tuesday against Halifax? Um, in terms of more bang for your buck, as you say, no. I, I think there's a good argument for why Chesterfield's ground is that entertaining because these aren't just late goals that are, you know, adding to scorelines. They're, they're turning draws into wins, they're turning losses into draws. You know, they're picking up extra points. So I think that adds a lot more entertainment value to it as opposed to if you're already 2-1 up. And, sounds, like, you know, sounds like fucking witching hour down at Technique Stadium. <laughs> it's, it's, that's exactly what it feels like, mate, honestly. Um, but yeah, yeah, there you go. Then the witching hour at um, at the Technique Stadium. But yeah, no, it, it's just them sort of things, isn't it? You know, them, turning them points... One point into three points and zero into one point really changes things around for you. And in the last minute, that's where the entertainment really comes, isn't it? It's entertainment to the very end, which Kemp, you'd have probably missed 90% of Chesterfield's goals this season having left 10 minutes before the end of the game. So. <laughs> he, he would have, yeah. Eight, yeah. Eighth minute is gone. So, yeah, he would have missed He would have missed a winner in the first game, an equaliser in the second game, a winner in the third game, a winner in the fourth game. So, yeah, he literally would have... They would have only seen Chesterfield leading in one of those games, and it was one game that they didn't end up winning. So, oh, no wonder he's into a shit. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. But anyway, on to the game. A, a massive amount of controversy after the game from both sets of fans, from both sets of players. Uh, and for us, you know, I'll always sort of argue back and say that no, you know, let's not just say the ref was terrible because that's the easy thing to say. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of things, a lot of control was lost during that ninety minutes or so. 
Yeah, I think you've got to see a different side of me. I've never been that riled up at a football match in a very long time. But yeah, it was a very poor performance from the referee. He seemed to not have a grasp of the game or control of the game. There were tackles that were going in that maybe should have been in a free kick or a yellow card. And the referee was giving nothing for them, yet booking people for, you know, talking back. And I think in some instances, showing a bit of emotion was a bit, bit maybe getting carried away with booking players for that. Um, he seemed to have lost complete control of the game. I think there was a couple of red cards that was given that maybe shouldn't have been given. Um, I'm not going to say too much about the Paul Cook situation because I know he has a tendency to backchat referees more than anybody. And I dare say that he's probably the most booked manager in English football history. Um, I'm certainly up there. But yeah, he seemed to lose a lot of control from the game. We started the game as a team very strong. I thought we played uh, some of the very... Very good football. And then, of course, we went 1-0 up, stayed in confidence, pushed on, got a second goal. And then a silly defensive error led to their them pulling themselves back into the game. And from there, it seemed to be just, you know, we'd lost that confidence, that little spark that we were playing with. We came back out in the second half and there was only one team in it and it wasn't us. Uh, Halifax were playing much better and they got a penalty, which I will say was the right decision, in my opinion, from seeing it. That That is a penalty. They got up and they scored it. It was a silly challenge to make, but you're giving the referee the decision to make and he made the right one. And then, you know, it's back and forth. It's end-to-end at that point. We go down to 10 men because a player has shown emotion, in my opinion. And then they've gone down to 10 men for a challenge that I personally think was just probably even worthy of a yellow card, not a straight red. Um, But he gave it anyway. Even things back up. And then, of course, uh, cometh the man, cometh the hour. Is that the right way? Or is it cometh the hour, cometh the man? One of those two anyway. Joe Quigley turned up. Yep, something like that. Uh, Joe Quigley turned up at the final points and... uh, and scored the winner and of course then got booked for scoring so the referee uh, capped off the game quite nicely but all in all good performance from us we fought to the very end and sometimes it's very difficult when you've got officiating that, that that's that poor and it's difficult as a referee to be hated by both sides but I think that game ended with that referee in that situation I think he got a bit carried away in his celebrations though didn't he I think he was crossing a line there I think and I think he did probably deserve got booked what for did he do? celebration what did he do? He went over and celebrated near the fans. Didn't take his top off. Didn't jump into the fans. He celebrated beside the fans. Our, our fans, not away fans, to rile them up. Our fans. What's wrong with that? Can you not celebrate a goal? Yeah, absolutely. You just can't do what he did, clearly. You can't do you it. Mean? You've seen it, mate. You were there. You tell you know, me exactly you know what he did. Because I know you're he, he interfered. To he interfered up, with the fans. No, he didn't. He did. That was stupid. No, he didn't. He interfered with one of the fans. You're winding me up. I know you are. There's no way that somebody who's a football fan believes that. There's nobody way anybody who's not a football fan believes that comment you've just made. I don't know what you're trying to get at. I don't know what you're trying to get at. He showed emotion. He scored a 90-second minute winner. He celebrated it. No fans ran onto the pitch. He didn't jump into the fans. To me, that's not a yellow card, but he got booked for it. And I know what you're trying to do. And you Letter of the law, mate. Letter of the law. That's all I'm saying. Well, there's no fucking law about that. There you go. That's my opinion. And whatever comment Sam was making. Um, you had a, a few thoughts on the subject, so I suppose I'll, I'll allow you to join episode 69, mate, in the usual format and uh, share what you think about the situation. Yeah, well, I'm going to answer your original question, first of all, actually. Is there more bang for your buck um, in, in, in football these days uh, than at the Technique Stadium? And I'm going to come to you and say, absolutely, yes, there is. For a National League game, a non-league game, I've got the Chesterfield website up right here, match day ticket prices... Adult £24. Okay. £24, <laughs> pounds, right? Now, I've also got uh, ticket prices from another club. 
uh, up in front of me. Adult prices are £33. Would anybody like to guess which club that is? Listen, Sheffield United, it's a terrible story. It isn't. Manchester United. It isn't. It's Luton Town, right? And the difference between Chesterfield and Luton is not only five divisions, right? But it's, you see in Harland, you see in fucking... I'm going to say Bruno Fernandes. That starts another conversation. I'm going to say Bruno Fernandes, but that starts another conversation. You see in De Bruyne, you see in Man City, you see in Arsenal, you see in all these big clubs coming to your ground. You're paying an extra nine pounds. Nine pounds. You've got more change than that, than that that side of your sofa, Aggie. I know you have. Nine pounds extra to watch Premier League football than National League football. Watching Dorking and Wheelstone. No offence to those clubs. But I think the ticket in at Chesterfield Football Club is an absolute disgrace. And in terms of bang for your buck, I don't care if they score six goals at 90th minute. Not fucking worth it. Um, on to the game. I've actually done a little bit of research on this in preparation for the uh, for the podcast. Um, and I'm going to start with Paul Cook, because you mentioned him there, Aggie. Um, so one of the new... Uh, sort of referee incentives and one of the new referee instructions this season um, is around the police in the technical area. So the behaviour of managers and their backroom staff will come under greater scrutiny with an automatic yellow card if there is ever more than one coach in the technical area and harsher penalties for managers that leave their technical area. Aggression from coaches towards match officials or opponents will be routinely met with a red card. Why does Paul Cook think he's better than everyone else, Adam? I don't know, mate. You'll have to ask him that. For me, it's I'm just a case you, of... mate. You're a Chesterfield fan. You've spoken mm. to him before. I'm asking you. He's not here. Yeah, well, I've not sat down and spoke to him about why he thinks he's better than everyone else. So that's something okay, you so have you to speak to him so about. you can't give me an answer on that one. Okay, so we start off. Why would I... That's the Descent. most ridiculous thing. Dissent. The threshold for a player to be shown a yellow card for dissent will be reduced this season. When it went out for a Halifax throw-in and your player turned around, shouted, screamed and swore at the referee, why do you think he should be let away with that, Aggie? Did he shout, uh, scream, yep. and swear at the referee? Yep. What, what did he say? Yep. Could you could you retort it for me, please? Well, you were there, mate. You should know. He no, I was around, a bit further away from him. You know, referee, in that sort of capacity. Screamed at the referee, yeah. and then he wondered why he got a yellow card, and then got sent off for a second mm. yellow. Now, mm. see what I recall Tom Naylor doing was chucking his arms up in the air in despair about the fact that the phone was given against us when it was after, and you've admitted that yourself from seeing it on the replay. But Absolutely, that's by the yeah. by. The referees made his decision. We do need to be better disciplined. You're absolutely right. But showing emotion, let's not get carried away. We need showing to show our place and still show emotion. Adam, Adam, Adam you, 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 you're you looking at this situation with blue tinted glasses, mate. You really, really are. You're a Chesterfield fan. I appreciate that. I mean, you're not as much a Chesterfield fan as Dawson, but we'll gloss over that one. Um, and ultimately, your players, your manager, your technical staff, completely undisciplined, went out there thinking they can do whatever they want, when they want, and the new refereeing incentives this season suggest and dictate that you've got to behave yourself got to respect the officials and got to respect the game. And unfortunately, Adam, during that game at the week or, or last night or whenever it was, even though it was a lovely night sky above the Technique Stadium and you had a lovely, lovely time, didn't do that. None of you did that. Poor discipline. And uh, unfortunately enough, you got away with three points. But in terms of your agreement and your aggression towards the referee, I think it's disgusting, to be honest. And I think you need to have a word with yourself. Me personally, you're all right. I think it's a case more of, there were some, there was very bad discipline from the players. I get that. And I'm going to answer that for you. Um, but I think there's decision-making that referees have to do. And I know there's all the, you know, respect the referees. But I think some decisions that were made really make it difficult for you to be able to respect some referees. And I look forward to hearing Skin's opinion. Because he was sat beside me. He's kept quite quiet for this and saved it um, for now. So I'd look forward to hearing what he's got to say about it. But I just think, you know, 
some of the tackles that were going in were a bit reckless from both sides. We should have had free kicks that we didn't. They should have had free kicks that they didn't. And, you know, I think the referee just, he didn't seem to understand, as Sam would say, the letter of the law. I can't believe this conversation feels like it should be turned on its head in the other way. We've got Kemp giving the letter of the law and the lay of the land to Aggie, Mr. Compliance, and Mr. Compliance, the is just the pen is not dropping, and he doesn't know. What is he doing it on purpose for a bite? I don't know. No, mate, no. He's, he's telling you the law about that dissent, and you, yeah. you, you, you're not accepting the fact that I you're, not, I've, I've you're not allowed. I've started to... that response by saying we have to be more disciplined, but I'm talking about the referee's performance away from back chatting to the referee. There was challenges put in from both sides that really should have been free kicks and the ref didn't give it. We should have had some, they should have had some. I'll but be guess what? To admit that. Guess but they what? didn't get given. And we then argued back and that's where the dissent comes in for it and that's where we've got to then, you know, be a bit more professional about yeah, it. But, Tom yeah, Taylor but... is an experienced player. should not be getting sent off for that. I get it. But you've also got to take into account sometimes that football is an emotional game. We've played it. We've My. watched it. We know that sometimes it's easy to lose your head. And... I know it's not the referee. You're telling ball, me, mate. I thought you were right. going to drop to the ground at some point. What? Guess what? Oh, That's what oh, happens. Yeah. That's what happens when you're at the bottom. You're in the national league. You're going to get shit refs and them at the top. It's going to happen. It happens to every single club around you. Um, so you, you, you know, you've got you've got to take it. You've got to take it. We had it mate. at the weekend. We had we had a, a woman ref at, at Pride Park at the weekend, um, and you know what? She wasn't bad. Actually, she wasn't bad. The the issue I had was more with the linesman, actually. We, we conceded a 96th minute, 97th minute goal. They were about two yards offside. So, they miss you if you're with linesman. Um, she missed a couple. Missed a couple of fouls. I think she missed an ball at some point in the game. But, you know, part and parcel of a League One referee, you don't expect them to be great. And more often than not, you're going to come away with some decision saying, yeah, that referee got that one wrong. And, and you're in even lower leagues than, than, than League One. So, you, it's just, that's how it's going to be. You're going to get referees that you're not going to, you're not going to agree with. As Dawson said at the top of the, the pod it's easy to say the referee was shit well now you actually break it down <laughs> you know the odds are you're going to get a worse ref than you are in a fucking Premier League game because there's a reason why they're they're ref in a Premier League game I think sometimes referees in Premier League games are quite questionable but I'm, I wouldn't use the word shit I'd use the word incompetent I mean, the a difference. Is, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to very very quickly jump in uh, if I can um, and say it's completely irrelevant Adam completely irrelevant the shit that you're spouting right now is completely irrelevant you could have had the worst referee in the history of referees. You could have had Stevie Wonder or Ray Charles referee in that game, right? Right. But the point is, and the point remains, there's rules around dissent this season, right? And you can't get away with it, okay? Now, every single club and every single manager and every single player has been briefed on these rules before the season and before games. Why does Chesterfield think they're above the law? I've literally just said to you, we need to sort out our discipline. Why are you then coming back with the exact same question? That I've just answered. You didn't answer it. No, you haven't. You've just we, said, oh, we need to be a bit better. We need do to we think, our discipline. So why That's do we not think answering we're my question. We all, my we question don't is, think we're better. why we do don't... You, you, know, you do? You do. For the last few years, all you've thought, we're better than National League. We should be here. Well, you should, mate, because you're fucking trash. No, I believe you're only as good as the division you're in. Right. I'm going to quickly jump in because... Kemp is absolutely right on that subject. You know, you're saying that the referee was terrible, and it, but our fans, they're, pro- they're not going to get used to this new rule, especially so soon into it coming in. But, you know, some of the big decisions, he, he gave um, a Halifax player a straight red, which, 
you probably would have seen that be a red card in a lot of games at any level. Uh, the penalty, I know at the time that Halifax had, you said you didn't think was a pen, but I did. Obviously, we had that conversation right in the moment where I said, mate, that was a pen. And you were saying, no, he didn't. He kicked the ball away. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm, I'm not. He, he went past and then it was cleared. Like, he didn't win the ball. That's not why it went there. So in terms of actual fouls and moments, I think the issue is that there were so many bookings in that game and so many of those were off of the back of dissent, which Kemp's absolutely right. That's the new law. We we can agree with it. We can argue it. We can do what we want. We can disagree with it. But that is the law and we can't get away from that. And and as Kemp said, every league, every player, every manager, every club has, has been briefed on it. And Chesterfield haven't abided by that. Fans, naturally, there were a lot of fans and it was a very hostile environment. But... If they're not doing their bit, if they're not taking a breath and staying calm, they're good. this could be what costs them if this doesn't improve. Suspensions and things like that, where you know at the minute they're playing Mandeville at right back for the last what three games because they're they're struggling for depth. So they, they've absolutely got to got to sort of sort themselves out. Um, <laughs> Aggie, I don't know what you're trying to do, mate, but we can't see you. But uh, so Aggie, what do you think about that? I know you've said yes, I agree, but do you think that saying that the ref was shit? It's harsh considering that a lot of those bookings and decisions were off the back of things that is, is now law. Yeah, I think this is what I'm saying. In terms of the discipline, the dissent, the yellow cards for arguing back, there was our discipline obviously needs to be much better. The point I'm getting at is more some of the challenges. And to be fair, I remember yet yeah, I was sat beside you and I said I didn't think that was a penalty. I've been seeing replays. I've admitted that was wrong. You know, that did look like a penalty. The ref got it right and I'll give him his credit for that. But I think there's... But my question, Ag, my question coming into this very quickly is why do you think you can... It all comes from Paul Cook, right? Paul Cook starts it. Paul Cook is, is is the manager. He sets the precedent for the players. Yes. Do you not think that's going to be a negative influence with these rules come in? Do you not think if Paul Cook doesn't tone his attitude down, then the players aren't going to follow suit? I think the players are going to... He's supposed to lead by example. And I think getting bookings for silly things that he's getting bookings for at the moment means that there's likelihood that more players are going to follow that same sort of procedure. And that's something that we certainly need to avoid. Skin, we said it not long after you know the 10-minute mark when we were 1-0 up already. This has got a booking in for Paul Cook. And I turned around and said, he's getting sent off at some point in this game. Lo and behold, he was sent off at some point in this game. He's a manager that always talks back to referees and shows his emotion in those sort of games. And he really needs to kind of tone that down a lot. You're absolutely right, because he's not setting the right example that we really need. And yet, I'll stand by, the, the discipline needs to improve. But I'll not turn around to the referee had a good game because he's one of the worst referees that I've seen in terms of decision-making. I think there was certain parts in that game from both sides that he missed. And I won't sit here and say that he's a good referee despite missing those. Absolutely fair. And I think if we carry on asking questions and theorising, we're going to end up being here all night. So shall we move on, lads? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So I'm going to come to you for this one. It is sort of the top line topic for me this week. And it is Manchester United and Chelsea um, who are pretty much in turmoil on the pitch. Um, Some stats for United currently sit 13th in the Premier League. Chelsea 14th. Um, in the 15 months since Todd Bowley took over Chelsea, they've spent £1 billion pounds, uh, in the 15 months. United have spent £400 million under Eric Ten Hag. Um, United this past weekend were embarrassed by Brighton at Old Trafford. Chelsea's last two games, um, they drew against Bournemouth and then lost at home to Forest. What's going on, mate? Because two big teams in terms of the Premier League landscape, they've spent a hell of a lot of money. We can talk about owners, we can talk about off-field, but They've had investments on the pitch 
And the start of the season, they're falling way off the pace already. What do you think's happening? You know, with the two clubs. Yeah, it's head scratching. I really, I really haven't got an answer for what what is happening. One one thing I'm sick of hearing is Gary Neville blaming the Glazers for absolutely everything. I think it's an easy easy excuse. I don't think um, you know the, the players. Uh, Ten Hag has got his disposal are good enough to win Premier League matches, and the fact that they're not it li- lies on his shoulders. And I think he needs to, you know, it's this this is his um, difficult period. He needs to sort it out as quickly as he can. Really, poor, poor, poor performance against Brighton. Um, and then I watched them last night as well against uh, against Bayern Munich. Looked a lot better going forward, but they're just so soft at the back, so fragile. Um, and that's probably down to a lot of injuries. I know they've not really had a settled back four for for quite a while, but again, these are professional players. You've got like Lindelof who's played well, Martinez. Martinez for me, he's been probably one of United's worst players I think this season so far. To how good he was last year and how poor he's been this year, I think it's it's unbelievable. Um. Obviously, Reggion, I thought he, he he looks quite good, actually, I must say. He's yeah, the two good, he had a good game, yeah. Yeah, the two games, I think he's played all right against Brighton and I think he, he played really well against Bayern Munich, actually. But just just defensively, really, really concerning. Uh, you could just tell that Bayern had done their own work against the, in the Brighton game and Leroy Sano was really, really on the shoulder of the last man every time, in the, especially in that first half. So with Reggion pushing that high up the, the pitch, they were just acres behind him and uh, between him and Martinez so they need to get on the right page um, and as for Chelsea I mean where do you start with Chelsea that, that many that many players incoming um, it's not gelled you thought it might have turned a corner with uh, Pochettino it looks like we're just getting more of the same um, so to say what's wrong I can't really say they've both got both got teams full of players that both teams should be in the top 10. And the fact that they're sitting 13th and 14th is is just simply not good enough. I know it's only, again, it's five games, but the, the performance to go with them them five five Premier League games have just been way off the mark. So concerning t- times for both teams. Um, and again, I get United have got a lot of players. Chelsea have as well, actually. Chelsea have got quite a few injuries. I've seen the list. Uh, I think there's about a... Um, you can get like a full man 11... 11 aside with the with the injuries that they, they have. So but both teams are really suffering with injuries at the minute. So I do kind of get that to an extent. But as you say in the NFL, it's next man up, isn't it? It's, there's no excuse at that level, at that pedigree of club. You, you want the next man to come in and do it, you know, almost as equally a good job as the, the man he's replacing. So, yeah, um, there's a lot to be lot to be desired for both clubs at the minute. And it's just going to be interesting to see what, what turns, when that corner turns, because... Like say they, they played a lot better against Bayern Munich than they did against Brighton, but still at the back, I, I just do not trust them at all. I think it's almost like a they're playing like time like they like Chesterfield at the minute, where every game's just going to end up like fucking five four or something like that, and just trying to outscore as many as they can. But who knows? Not good enough for either, either either club. Yeah, definitely. And, and just on the United thing, you mentioned about Martinez being sort of gone from one of the best to one of the worst. I do think one standout, as I mentioned it last night, but Diego Dallo. I think has been absolutely fantastic. He he was really good against Brighton, despite the result. He was, you know, he had spells being really good as well. So once players like Shaw come back in, Varane come back in, he's got that back four that is his first choice. Midfielders, obviously, Mount. We talked about bringing him in and the kind of you know how he can help with the game plan. He's hardly played before he got injured. There's so many injuries up and down the pitch. But Kemp, I'm going to bring you in next, just very quickly because. When we were having the discussion around Bruno Fernandes, I thought, what was it, after two games, so a couple of weeks ago, your sort of argument for him was, it's early doors, calm down. When we look at both clubs as a whole, again, like I said, Sam, considering their stature, considering their history, considering their success, considering the amount of money that they have spent and invested on their on-field teams over this last 
well, what, 12 to 18 months. Even though it is only five games in, when you look at the results, when you look at their performances, is there cause for concern or are you still in the camp of it's early doors, calm down, United get their injuries in, Poch has time to develop his sort of style with all those players. Where do you sit with this one? Yeah, I do. I'm still in that camp. Um, the performance against Brighton was poor, really was. Um, but what I saw from them against Bayern Munich yesterday was much more positive. Um, as Sam mentioned, going forward, a lot more um, free-flowing, a lot quicker. Um, and Bayern Munich have got a really, really solid back line. They don't concede many goals. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like Man United broke them down quite a few times. I thought Casemiro played really well yesterday. Um, I think a few players have had a slow start to the season. Mentioned Lissandro Martinez there. I couldn't agree more with that point. I think he's been really poor so far this season. Casemiro, I think, started pretty poorly as well. And I don't think Marcus Rashford's done himself any favours. But I do think Man United are traditionally slow starters. Last season under Eric Ten Hag, when he first joined the club, got battered against Brighton, got battered against Brentford. Um, no doubt they've had some poor performances. No doubt they're really poor at the moment. But what I saw yesterday, I liked. Um, and I think if they can recreate that form and, and if they can keep that going and keep that momentum going and take that into the Premier League, they're beating most Premier League teams based on that performance against Bayern Munich yesterday. So I am still in the camp of it's early days. I wouldn't panic if I was a Man United fan. Um, but it's definitely more concerning than that it was initially after the first two games. Um, but, you know, again, the season doesn't end in September. It ends in May. So I'm sure we'll revisit this conversation at the end of the season. Um, I think um, I think you bring a good point to Rashford there. I've not even mentioned him and he's been yeah. way off the mark compared to last he year. Has, he has and I think Rashford needs to understand now that they've got an outlet up top. You know, I love That's Val. it. He's not the main man, Val's, is he, anymore? Val's my boy. Val is my fucking boy. We know that. But Rasmus Hoyland, I think in the two games that he's played, he, he, he does look a lot more of a goal threat. Sharp, he scored last sharp. night. Looked really, really good last night, I thought. And, and and Rashford needs to kind of understand now that he's got somebody in the middle that he can rely on. So he's not just got that cutting in and hitting it with his right foot like he did last season so many times effectively. But he's got that outlet as well. So I think once the players start understanding each other a little bit better, I do think Man United's form will pick up. And one thing they need to do, I implore Man United fans and, and, and anybody involved in Man United all over the world, is that the one thing they need to do is give Eric Ten Hag time because I truly believe Eric Ten Hag is the man to take them back to uh, to where they want to be. Um, in terms of Chelsea, it's a, it's a very, very different scenario. Yes, they've also spent a lot of money, but they've basically got a new squad. You know, they've so many outgoings, so many incomings, a new manager, a new system, new players, Lavia, Caicedo, fucking Enzo Fernandez. You know, Enzo Fernandez is one of their longest serving players. They only signed him last season, so the squad turnover is crazy. So I think with Chelsea, they are going to have a bit of a poor season, I think, but... I hope they stick with Poch because I think when they start understanding each other a little bit better and, and kind of the turn of the year, I think results will turn around as as that team cohesion gets in. But we all know, you know, we've seen it at the start of the season. Sheffield United are going through it now. When new players come in, it, it takes a while for them to understand each other. And Chelsea have got some really good players. So I think at some point in the not too distant future, they'll all start getting on the same page. Um, and hopefully for Chelsea fans, they uh, they start uh, pulling up trees and, and getting results as well. Because I've watched a few, few of their performances so far this season. And uh, and they're off it. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Aggie, on to this weekend, mate. The the big match, the main match is uh, is your soft spot in the Premier League. Arsenal uh, currently sitting in fourth place off the back of a fantastic return to the Champions League this week with a 4-0 win at home to PSV Eindhoven, hosting one of the informed teams in the Premier League, Tottenham Hotspur. It's the North London derby. Tottenham currently sat in a second place after four wins from five and one draw. And we'll, uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on their, their, their latest win very shortly, Kent, when we come to you. But uh, 
Aggie, what do you think? Arsenal versus Tottenham, fourth versus second. Two teams that have started the season well and you know seem to be very, very high on confidence in each of their individual camps. Will Arsenal having a Champions League fixture to potentially play into this game? Will Tottenham's big form and comf- uh, confidence under Ange and that uh, Ange ball style of play that they're bringing onto the pitch, will, will that benefit them? Where can you see it going on Sunday? It's Derby, ain't it? So all of a sudden the form book's out the window and they're both in the exact same situation at the moment, you know, second and fourth place with the same amount of points, goal difference separating the two. And I think Arsenal are just building on the momentum they built themselves last season. You know, they just missed out on the Premier League trophy. They're trying to keep that sort of rhythm going that they, they kind of got with the squad last season. They've added a couple of new players. But with Tottenham, you know, you lose Harry Kane and the question's there with where's Tottenham's goals going to come from? What what are Tottenham going to do? <clears throat> Sorry, how are they going to perform? What, where are they going to get anything from, really? You know, the, the star man's gone. And here they are in second place, really upsetting the status quo and what people expected of them. For me, they'd take a point away from Arsenal, I'm pretty sure, uh, away from home. But I could see Arsenal maybe grabbing this one 2-1. Um, they've started putting Ryer in goal as well. Ramsdale seems to be benched, which I think will hurt him going up towards the Euros and World Cup qualifiers and etc. etc. But um, Or actually, knowing Southgate, he might actually play. But with Ryer in goal, I think he's had to try, kind of change things up a little bit to, to adapt to some of the sides. You know, Everton had a taller squad, so they've had to go with a keeper that comes out to claim a little bit more. You know, Ramsdale didn't do that quite as much. He was good at playing out from the back. So, But then Ryer's got two clean sheets back-to-back. So I think that's one of the changes they've got to look at, which goalkeeper you're going to move forward with, because I'm sure we can all agree you need consistency in goal to help your defence play with confidence. And against a side like Tottenham that at the moment... I don't think they're creating too many chances, but when they are, they're taking them. And I think that's the difference between the points they've got and the points they didn't have last season. So, yeah, I think uh, Arsenal will get a 2-1 win at home. You said a point a minute ago, didn't you? No, Tottenham will take a point away from home, but I think Arsenal will grab it. Oh, they'll they'll be happy with that. So I thought you meant yeah. that's what they're going to do. Fair one, two, two, one. So Kemp, just coming to you, mate, because you were at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this past weekend. Obviously, the game isn't taking place there. Seeing your beloved Sheffield Wednesday apps. Whoa! 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 There's your fucking concept. No, 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 no. <laughs> I would like to, now. to officially retire from Loaded Sport forever. <laughs> I'm never coming back ever again. <laughs> That's twice I've done that now. I seem to have a complex about it. I don't know what's going on with that. I can't get can't get past it. But anyway. We're both in, we're both in fucking turmoil, mate. That's why. Yeah, there you go. That must be what it is. But uh, yeah, you saw them in historically Tottenham, as we know, bottle jobs, blah, 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 blah. We've we've seen and heard it all before. Big spotlight on Harry Kane not being there. And historically, over the last sort of even four or five years, Tottenham seem to go on that run where they'll lose at home against a side that they should be. They'll go to Etihad and beat City and then they'll come back to Tottenham and lose against a side that they should be. And that seems to be their sort of their way about going about it. But games like last, like, uh, last Saturday, sorry, against Sheffield United at home, losing 1-0, deep, deep, deep into injury time and still down. Are we potentially seeing a, a sort of turning of the tide, as you, as you could say, where, yes, they should be beating Sheffield United at home, but, you know, are we potentially, without Harry Kane, seeing a different side that does have the ability to, you know, get the win where in previous years they wouldn't have done? Yeah, I think, again, you know, it's when when we talk about teams that are struggling, it's, you know, I, I say it's early to say, yeah? When we talk about teams that are doing well, unless it's Man City who've got kind of a proven track record, it's early to say. Um, I thought Spurs were good 
I thought they, they created, I, I don't quite know what Aggie's on about, to be fair. I thought they created quite a lot of chances against us. We just defended really resolutely and, uh, and made sure that we, we, we kept ourselves as well as we could. Um, and, and until the 95th minute, we did. You know, we, we did really well. Um, I think there's a different environment. There's a different atmosphere under Ange Postacoglu, from, 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 in my opinion, at, at Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I think there's more of a togetherness. I think in the past they've relied maybe too much on Harry Kane. And I think now they're looking as a unit and saying, right, OK, everybody needs to do the bit. We've lost this player, our best player of all time, possibly. Maybe Jimmy Greaves, but that's an argument you can have another day. Um, now we need to come together as a squad, as a club, and we all need to do our job. We all need to do our bit. Um, James Madison creates chances for fun. You know, he, he had an absolute ball the other day. And uh, and, and poor Vinicius Souza for Sheffield United was trying to mark him as best he could. But he's a really, really top player. And I think Spurs have done really well getting him in uh, in the transfer window. Um, and and again, you know, it's, it's, it seems more of a team cohesion, a team unit. And it seems like as well, the fans are connected with the manager a lot more now, which is which is really important. So, yes, looked good for Spurs. They did what they needed to do at the weekend. I was fucking crushed coming away from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, but but that is what it is. You know, the new new added time rules are there. Uh, and, and that's something we accept. I accept the new rules, unlike Aggie. Um, and we move on to the next game with Newcastle at home. But yeah, I think new, uh, Tottenham created a lot of chances. I think they played really well. I think we defended really well. Um, but I'm really positive about the Blades as well. I think we performed really well as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot of positives for Tottenham fans, a lot of positives for Blades fans as well at the weekend. One thing I will say before moving on to my prediction, maybe uh, Arsenal Spurs, um, there was a rumour, a rumbling after the game that Paul Heckingbottom's job at Sheffield Sheffield United was under under threat and that Chris Wilder was, was touted to potentially be coming back as our manager. Um, those reports have been found untrue. Uh, I think the, the 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 paper that initially reported it was the Daily Mail, so that tells you all about the truth of the situation, um, in that it's absolute bullshit and fabricated. Um, and the the reason it was brought up is that Wilder was at the Tottenham game. I think he was there with maybe one of the Prince's representatives because they've made friends. They're friends again after the the the, the terrible divorce they had when Wilder left the club. Um, but what I want to say is is the dis- disrespect and the disgrace that it was that they were reporting about Paul Heckingbottom's job after that game at Spurs where we played so well. Um, it's an absolute fucking disgrace. And as a Sheffield United fan, most Sheffield United fans agree uh, we are with Paul Heckingbottom until the bitter end because we believe with the way that we're playing, the performances we're putting in, that we're going to stay in the league this season. This weekend, Arsenal have looked not as good as they did last season. Spurs have improved massively, as you mentioned. It is at the Emirates, which changes things a little bit. But I think Spurs will win, I think, 2-1. That would be a big, big result and a massive statement if uh, if that is what happens. And I'll, I'll come back to the the game that you mentioned for Sheffield United at the end of the show when we discuss our weekends for a little prediction there. Sam, Arsenal, Tottenham, two informed sides performing really well. We've got a win for Arsenal. We've got a win for Tottenham. Where are you putting your name? It's going to have to be uh, even Steven for me. He'll put me down for a draw. I think it'll be 2-2 and that's probably a really thrilling game. These two normally do put plenty of goals between them both. So yeah, 2-2 for me. I think it'll be a draw. I'm actually struggling with this one. I, I really don't know. Like Any of your three, I've not really got any arguments about. But again, if we're putting our name to it, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. I'm going to sit on the fence, get some splinters with you, Sam, because I'm really, really struggling to split the sides. But uh that's football, lads. It's uh, it's been a busy week. It's been a big week, and we've got uh, we've got some big games coming up this weekend. Obviously, headline like I said there by Arsenal versus Tottenham. I don't know if you've seen, but the Premier League is actually split this weekend, and there's five games on Sunday, uh, which is strange. Uh, Arsenal, Tottenham being televised, and then of course Sheffield United in Newcastle in the 
I suppose, actual main event because that's on last. But anyway, Thomas Kemp, host, Hello, owner, trademark owner of Kempy's Combat Corner. We've got a, uh, we've had a fight night that's just gone on this previous weekend and this upcoming weekend. We've got a big rematch in the boxing world. Talk us through it. Yeah, and we'll talk about that first if that's all right. And uh, and as I always do when we've got a heavyweight fight coming up, I'll uh, I'll talk about this fight with Sam. Uh, and we look forward to the heavyweight heavyweight fights. Most certainly, we do. Heavyweight. Um, well, that's a fucking dick straight to it, isn't it? Heavyweight. You cheeky bastard. I'm, I'm just getting you back from earlier, mate. You've cursed my family, so uh, I'm, uh, I'm getting you back. Um, so yeah, a heavyweight fight between Joe Joyce and Jilly Zhang. The second fight, the rematch. Um, Sam, I don't know if you caught the first fight or not. Did I did. Um, Fantastic, great. So the first fight, as we saw, you know, that Joe Joyce's nickname is the Juggernaut. You know, he takes punches and he keeps moving forward. He tires opponents out, um, and then in the later rounds tends to either get a stoppage or, uh, or or a decision win. And up till his previous fight with Jilly Zhang, Joe Joyce was undefeated, but that ended against Jilly Zhang in the previous fight, who took everything that Joe Joyce had uh, had to throw at him. Uh, and he smiled in return, uh, and that jab really got it done for uh, for Jilly Zhang at the end of the night. He absolutely jabbed Joyce's face off, um, and, and the fight ended up having to be stopped. So it was a pretty dominant performance from Jilly Zhang. Not a lot of people expected that. Jilly Zhang is a really good heavyweight, but a lot of people thought Joe Joyce was going to kind of walk over him uh, and get to that heavyweight title shot. So my question is to you, Sam, straight away, and it's, it's, a, it's a very straight question, revenge or repeat this weekend, Joe Joyce, Jilly Zhang? I'm going to go repeat. I think um, I, there's nothing, nothing I've seen in that first fight that, make, that back, makes me want to back Joyce. Um, he defends with his chin. Uh, he always has done. I don't think that'll ever change. It's quite a, a late bloomer into, into heavyweight boxing. So I, I can't see him changing styles. I can't see it really being any different. And Zhang has got so much power. He's probably one of the most powerful heavyweights in the division. Not the most technically sound of boxers, but like you say, that jab was a fucking there every single time for him. And it, and it, it, it was um, there. And <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was there for him every time. And, and I really, really can't see it being any other way than, than exactly the same. I think Joyce has just not got the defense, defense for, um, for for Zhang, Zhang's far too powerful to be for allowing them sort of shots to the face. So, for me, I can't see it, and I'm looking at the odds now, and there's a reason Zhang is actually odds on to win eight to eleven. Uh, Joyce is eleven to ten, so that 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 speaks volumes, really. I, I fancy Zhang again, to be honest. Yeah, no, absolutely spot on, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think that was the the argument that I had with Eubank and Liam Smith number two. I think I saw that fight with Chris Eubank, and I thought. Can't really see a way after that that he's going to be um, he's going to beat Liam Smith, but he did. Uh, so who knows what what could happen in boxing? But you are absolutely right. Um, Joe Joyce has got sixteen professional fights on his record. He's thirty eight. You know, thirty eight, sixteen professional fights. So that is that is a late bloomer. I mean, to be fair, he started his amateur career in twenty twelve, um, and and he, he did have a long amateur career. So so you give that up to Joyce. But for me. I think with the the fight that's taking place this weekend, you've got to make adjustments, right? You've got yeah. to do something different than what you did in the first fight. Otherwise, it's just going to be the exact same story. Zhili Zhang is just going to come out, like you say, he's very, very powerful, very heavy-handed. A lot of, you know, pretty much all fighters in the heavyweight division are, but Zhili Zhang most definitely, uh, he's going to throw them jabs. And Joe Joyce needs to do something different. Otherwise, the result's going to go the same way. And I suppose the, the million-dollar question, Sam, is that can you teach an old dog new tricks? Can Joe Joyce, at 38 years of age, 
change a lot of his style to come into this next fight, keep his head off that centre line, close the distance to to, to Jilly Zhang, and get the finish. I don't think he can. No, I, I really can't see it myself. I really can't. Whichever way I try and spin it, um, just Zhang has the size, he has the power. Um, Joyce just can't defend himself very well. And I think it's an absolute nightmare matchup. To be honest, I, I think after the first fight, I'm sure we spoke about it on on here, and obviously straight away what there was the talk of a of rematch, and I think we both said at the time, do we really want to see a rematch? Because can you see it going any other way? And and I still haven't really changed my mind from that that point onwards. So now for me, um, Joyce has got a lot to do to to get get himself in this fight. Um, I think he's got the same trainer, hasn't he? I don't think he's changed trainers or anything like that. Not as far as I'm aware. No, so I really, really can't see this going any other way other than other than Zhang. But again, like I say, Zhang, let's not let's let's not beat around the bush. Zhang's not the best boxer in the world, not the most technically gifted boxer. So if Joyce can turn it on a bit and you know maybe dance about a bit, move a bit more, I think that's that's key. Keep moving. Don't stand on stand flat footed and you know head off the centre line, isn't it? It's not so much. Moving like dancing around like Ali, nobody expects him to, be able to do that. Nobody, <laughs> no. nobody probably wants him to do that either because he'll probably fall over his own feet. But it's just keeping that head off centre line, making sure that you're not there for when that jab lands. Because as as we said in the first fight, Zhang set everything up off that jab. So Joe Joe, Joe Joyce needs to do something different to to avoid that jab and, like you say, close the distance and get to him. So Sam, going to come to you straight away. I'm going to we we do this before heavyweight fights and you got the last one very very close. Uh, Eubank and Liam Smith. Um, so uh, before any fights, we do this actually. To be fair, um, so I'm going to ask you for a prediction. I'm going to say how does it finish? Who wins? I think you've already probably established that. Um, <laughs> and what round does it finish in? If it does finish in a round or if it goes a distance? Um. I think it's a stoppage. I think it's another stoppage for Zhang. Um, I think it's going to be late. I think one thing you can say for Joyce is he, he's, he's got heart and he will stick around there no matter how beat, beat up he does get. So it's going to be after be a stoppage by the referee because I don't think he'll he'll, he'll quit like um, Dubois did a couple of weeks back. It won't be one of them situations. So for me, it probably will be something like, uh, I want to say, I'm going to say 11th round, an 11th round stoppage for Zhang. Yeah, no, that that seems absolutely fair enough, and I completely understand uh, the reasoning behind it. Um, I don't think it'll go that far. I think when you're 38 and you've got miles on the tank and you've been stopped like it was in the last fight, I don't think Joe Joyce will be as durable in this fight as we've seen him before, Um, and I think it'll be stopped a little bit earlier. I think there is a potential that this fight could be stopped in the seventh round and Julie Zhang will be the new WBO interim champion, heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, and then hopefully Julie Zhang can go on to bigger and better things and fight for a world title. But the heavyweight division in terms of the title scene is is still a fucking mess. So who knows? Well, let's um, let's let's play hypothetical then. If if that if that is the case and we are both right, and and even if even more so if you're right and it's a seventh round stoppage, where where does uh, Joyce go? Jo- Joyce go from here because it's it's a long way back in it for for an heavyweight you know championship shot. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely spot on. And uh, I don't think he goes anywhere. I think he potentially could go towards retirement at 38 years of age, uh, got to a a very, very good level at the domestic scene, didn't quite break the world level as as we were all expecting him to. Um, But Father Time waits for no man. Um, And I do think that Joe Joyce is only option really in terms of kind of top level boxing potentially a Derek Chisora or something like that, mm. you know, just to kind of get the ball rolling again to try and maybe reinvigorate his career. But will he want to do that? So if he doesn't, if he does decide to carry on and hopefully he does, um, then 
maybe a Derek Chisora or maybe a Dillian White. Somebody I was about to say a Dillian the... White. I'd like to yeah, see that. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Somebody kind of on the fringes, somebody that, you know, he could, could you know, have a good fight against. You could put him in a main event, could put it on BT Sport and you could make a bit of money out of it. And I think we'd then see Joe Joyce becoming more of a prize fighter like a Derek Chisora, who knows he's never going to win world titles, but just wants to keep going in there and in, in that bag, essentially. Cheered him in. That's it. That's it. And none of us thought Joe Joyce would be that, but you know, there's not, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. Not everybody can com- be competing for the, you know, they'll be the best in the world. There's places for them sort of fighters in, in boxing. So there's no disrespect by, by calling people journeymen. And, you know, like you say, Derek Chisora's made an absolute career out of it. So did Audley Harrison somehow. So yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with them sort of fighters that kind of prepping you for, for the, for the big stuff. So yeah, no, I've, I've got no problem with being, you know, journeymen in yeah. the sport. Yeah, and we could see that. And you know what we could also see? We could also see a Daniel Dubois rematch. I think that would be quite interesting to see. Hmm. I think after that fight against Alexander Usyk, where he looked so good, um, I think I'd be interested in seeing that fight as well. So we'll see where we go from there. I have to correct myself very briefly because I said Zili Zhang will become the WBO interim champion. He already is the WBO interim champion uh, with Alexander Usyk being the undisputed champion at this moment in time. So let's play hypothetical again. If Zili Zhang does win... Does he fight Alexander Usyk anytime soon, or do you think that's a fight that potentially won't happen, even though he is WBO mandatory at that point? It could be. It could happen because it's is that kind of level, isn't it? It's not quite the elite of the elite, so it's, it's a quite nice level for for Usyk. But I don't want to see that fight. Usyk's gonna box his head clean off. Is 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 not the best mover in the world, um, Zhang, and yeah, Usyk could be just far too far too clean and clinical for him. I don't think he'd even lay a glove on him to be honest. But there we go. We've all seen how Usyk takes a body shot these days. So said you know that about the Dubois fight, didn't we? we <laughs> exactly, we did. Fight, so, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So we've all yeah. seen how Usyk can take a body shot. It feels like there might be a little bit of a kink in his armor at the minute, where people might be licking the lips, thinking he might be able to be got up finally. So yeah, maybe it would be it'd be a nice fight. But I think on paper, I think he just boxes head clean off. But you never know. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? We know about Alexander Usyk is that he'll fight anybody. He doesn't give a shit. Uh, so if the WBO order that match and he's not got another fight, I'm sure Usyk will be quite happy to uh, to box his face off for 12, 12 three-minute rounds. But we shall see. That is one we can talk about if that does happen. Um, Anthony Yard is also fighting this weekend on the undercard of that fight. Uh, Anthony Yard's most previous fight was against Artur Betabiev uh, for the Cruiserweight Championship of the World. He lost against Betabiev. A lot of us expected that to happen, um, and he did lose against Betabiev, and uh, and it was a difficult night for him. But he's getting back on the train, and hopefully he gets a win this weekend, and Anthony Yard can put himself back in that title picture, because it's always good to have a, a countryman uh, involved at the top level in boxing, no matter what the weight class. So that'll be really interesting. Now, another one of our countrymen that's making his boxing return this weekend, Sam, and we've not discussed this before recording, so I'm going to throw this one straight at you. Connor Ben. Is returning to the ring this weekend with a fight against Mexican Rodolfo Orozco uh, in Orlando, Florida. Now, Conor Ben, while being cleared by the WBC, and they said that it was because of an ingestion of eggs in his diet, and and, and because of that, he tested positive for clomiphene. Um, he still hasn't proved his innocence with, um, well, but basically hasn't proved his innocence to anybody. Uh, and the British Boxing Board of Control um, are yet to licence him after the UCAD anti-doping agency cleared him also. So it's a bit murky. We've talked about this situation lots and lots of times, but now we've actually got something to talk about with Conor Ben returning this weekend. So 
Where does it sit with you that Conor Ben is returning to the ring? Do you think, you know what, let's just put it all behind us? Or do you think, mm, this is not quite right? I don't feel good about this one. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely the la- the latter. Um, I, d- I don't like it. I think um, I think he, he surely has got to have the backing of the British Boxing Board of Control to, to to lay any sort of fight on. And I get he wants to keep keep busy. He's only twenty six. Obviously, he's got his whole entire future ahead of him at the I think it's a welterweight division in the FL Super welterweight, one of them. Um, <clears throat> but it just doesn't sit right with me. How how can you fight when you've not been proved innocent yet? So. I think for me, it should, it should have been put on the back burner until it's all said and done. Um, I don't have any faith in the the British Boxing Board of Control or you know the UK tech, all the testing and all that shit. I don't have any any faith in any of the boxing systems at the minute and, and the drug testing. So I don't really want to rely my faith too much in them. But you've you've got to be found you've got to be found innocent before you can fight again, surely. Because what's to say it, it, it's not going to happen again if he ends up after this fight and he tests positive again and it's down to eggs again that is uh, that is consumed. So don't quite sit right with me. I don't know about you. Yeah, and I think. You've got to look at it, and I don't want to talk about this because it's it's the worst thing that can ever happen in boxing, ever. But we have seen people, unfortunately, lose their lives in the ring. Um, and that's happened time and time again. We've seen people with, with brain injuries. Chris Eubank Sr. Uh, actually fought um, against a chap, I can't quite remember his name, um, but but he, uh, the guy that he fought, ended up having a brain injury after that fight. Um, and if Conor Ben, God forbid, goes into the ring on Saturday night, um, and Hadolfo Orozco tragically gets an injury from that because Conor Ben knocks him out viciously. That's going to open up a can of worms, isn't it? I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but Jesus, Sam, how bad for boxing would that be if that did happen? You know, because he's not been proved innocent. Yeah, it's a bit like you say, it's about as bad as it gets, isn't it? It's, it doesn't get any worse than that. And, and, and you've always got to put the boxer's safety first. And that's clearly not, doesn't feel like they're doing that with this fight. How can you put someone who's technically guilty, well, not guilty because he's not been neither, neither innocent or guilty yet, but we don't know. He could well be guilty of it. And, and to put, stick him in another fight, if he does turn out to be guilty, is it's it's criminal for me. Like I say, you've got that fucking poor guy, Rodolfo, whatever his name is. I've never heard it before. But... Orozco. No, <clears throat> I think he's. Uh, we mentioned journeyman earlier. I think Adolfo Orozco. I don't really know anything about him. I think he may potentially be a journeyman, a warm up fight for for for, for Conor Ben. With maybe an iron, iron a fight with Chris Eubank Junior. Um, in the near future for big money, and this is just going to warm him up for it. But could be very dangerous, Sam. Could be, and I hope mm. it's not. But it could be. So um, I, I completely agree with you for the record. I think it's a disgrace, actually, to be fair, that Conor Ben's fighting this weekend. I think he needs to be cleared. Um, by, I think they need to do investigations into the testing. Um, I think it was a VADA test that he failed on in the lead up to the, uh, to the, to the Chris Eubank Jr. fight a year ago now. Um, so it wasn't a UCAD test that he failed on. He actually passed all the UCAD tests, but you know, the British Boxing Board of Control still haven't sanctioned him as a fighter because of the situation. Um, and I think if the British Boxing Board of Control, who are the overseeing body of, of boxing in the UK, if they're not sanctioning one of their own fighters, um, there's clearly a reason for that, so it does fill me with concern, and, and hopefully it all goes goes off without a hitch. But but we'll see. Um, Eddie Hearn, that... Eddie Hearn. Yeah, I think full. Eddie. Well, I think Eddie Hearn is is bringing a lot of good things and a lot more testing into into boxing. Um, maybe he's been pushed on by the Chris uh, the Conor Ben situation to bring testing in. But you know, Eddie Hearn's organisation, Matchroom Sport, they do test for for drugs more than any other promoter. Um, so it's it's a strange one. It's a difficult one. And uh, again, hopefully nobody's injured and, and everybody gets out of there, earns a bit of money and uh, and they can carry on with their lives. Um, 
Another uh, controversial issue, albeit for very different reasons potentially, was this last weekend's fights in the UFC. Uh, we had Alexa Grasso defending her women's flyweight title against Valentina Shevchenko, the former UFC women's flyweight champion of the world. And it ended in a draw, which is not very often we see that in the UFC, um, but but it ended in a draw this last weekend. Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko was an extremely close fight um, with the judges scoring it 48-47, 47-48 and 47 47. There was a bit of controversy around the 10-8 rounds, bit of controversy as to why why was one a 10-8 round, why is one another. Um, and it's a, it's a very, very difficult decision for the judges to make. Um, and I didn't want to be a judge on Saturday night after watching that fight. I didn't watch it on Saturday night. I watched it uh, after. But but yeah, it, the fact remains the same. It was a very, very difficult fight to score. But because they drew, Alexa Grasso is still the women's flyweight champion of the world. However, um, there has to be a rubber match. There has to be a third fight. Alexa Grasso submitted Valentina in the first. There was a draw in the second fight. Valentina was the only UFC women's flyweight champion in the history of the the, the division before Alexa Grasso took her belt. And for, for me, for my money, there has to be a rematch in that 125-pound division for the women in the UFC. So we will see what happens. Jack, De- Jack Della Maddalena also defeated Kevin Holland by a razor-close split decision. And Raul Rosas Jr. defeated Terence Mitchell by TKO in 54 seconds of the very first round. Finally submitting his first win in the UFC. A lot of heart behind this bantamweight. Think he's going to go to the top. We shall see. We shall certainly see how that goes. There's also been two major fights announced today in the UFC. We've got UFC 295, where uh, not only is John Jones going to be fighting Stipe Miocic um, on that card, I believe, but we've also got another major fight in the light heavyweight division, and it is for... The light heavyweight championship of the world is Yiri Prohaska against Alex Portan Pereira, uh, the guy who defeated Israel Adesanya, um, not in the previous fight, but the one before that, and then unfortunately lost against Israel Adesanya and moved up to light heavyweight because of that. He also trained Sean Strickland for the Israel Adesanya fight we talked about last week, um, and Sean Strickland got the job done. So Alex Pereira, new division, new opponent, Yiri Prohaska, always game. Um, and that's going to be a crazy fight taking place at UFC 295 on the 11th of November, um, 2023. So I'm looking forward to that one. And the man, the man of the hour, the Brit, the the champion, the man who's who's, who's leading the way and waving the flag for, for British MMA at this point in time, following in the footsteps of Michael Bisping um, and the like, and Dan Hardy, et cetera, et cetera, before that. Leon Rocky Edwards, the UFC welterweight champion of the world, will be defending his title on the 17th of December against Colby Chaos Covington. That is going to be a mental fight. T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, that's going to be a crazy fight. I'm looking forward to that one. So, uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's what's been going on in the boxing. That's what's been going on in the UFC. That comes to an end, Kempi's Combat Corner for another week. And I'm sure after the Jilly Zhang and Joe Joyce fight, we will be back and we will be here to break down the fight. Is it going to go how we think? Only time will tell. But keep tuned in to Kempi's Combat Corner to find out. Episode 70 will be the place to find out Sam and Kemp's thoughts on the big fight this weekend. Aggie, it is Formula One time. Uh, we, we've spoke many a times over this season about Red Bull's dominance and Max winning every race and everything like that. But Singapore, your favourite race of the calendar, brought in a shock as, for the first time this season, Max didn't win and a Red Bull at that 
for that fact, didn't win either. In what was a chaotic race, a close race that went right down to the wire as four drivers, Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton were all fighting for first place in the penultimate lap and going into the final lap. Was it the race of the season so far, Aggie? Yes, mate. In the words of Michael Cole, the streak is over. Uh, yes, Max Verstappen starting in 11th place in Singapore. We said a couple of changes to the track might change things. Uh, the couple of changes that Red Bull were forced to make to their front wing, of course, after breaching the rules. We could see a couple of changes uh, on the track from that as well. He struggled. He only qualified in 11th place, didn't make it through uh, to a top 10. So he had a huge job uh, when it came to the race. And he did manage to get himself a fifth place finish. And the car is obviously still in incredible condition and extremely quick for him. But I think it was Ferrari's day. And Sainz, who dominated through qualifying, the Ferraris together qualified, uh, dominated through practice, and the race itself, it was very hard fought. I think uh, Lando Norris kept him on his toes for a large part of the race, as he did extremely well doing so. But uh, my heart has to go out to uh, George Russell, who, with a fantastic race on, I think it was about three corners from the end, I think his steering wheel locked up and he went straight into the wall and didn't finish the race. And he was on third place and he was battling. I think he might even have had Lando going onto the pitch straight as well. So he could have had second place for that. Um but yeah, he crashed out and didn't even get a finish. So uh, Sainz won the race, Lando in second place, Lewis Hamilton in third. So it's a nice uh, nice change to not just see Max Verstappen not win the race, but to not see any red ball on the podium. Is it a case of now that front wing change that they've been forced to revert back to what it was before they had these quicker times? Do you think that's going to now maybe make it a bit more competitive at the top? Well, I did say, didn't I, during the, the season break that I'd seen pre-season, people were saying that once some changes come in and some restrictions are brought in in the second half of the season, that's when we should start to see it being more competitive. And I mentioned it again, um, going off the sort of back end of the summer break when F1 was coming back. So it does seem like that is the case. And going into Japan this weekend, we know it's a very hard track. It's a challenging track. It's you know, it's it's certainly not up there in terms of the easiest tracks on the calendar. So if we see another result similar to this weekend, naturally Red Bull could and, and probably should, you know, get at least a podium. But if we see another winner again, then yeah, we, we could be in for a really, really exciting second half of the season. The unfortunate thing is, it does look like the championship race and the constructors race is all but over barring disasters for Max and Red Bull. So we probably won't see a race for the title, but those individual races should make for great watching. But speaking of Japan, it's a 6am start for the race on Sunday. Uh, and like I said, there is one of the more challenging tracks. We spoke about Mercedes progression. We spoke about... <laughs> Sam's got me. Fuck. We spoke about um, McLaren's uh, progression as well. And Ferrari obviously getting that big win with Carlos Sainz this, uh, this weekend. What do you think? Was it just a one-off and, and Red Bull are going to respond and, and get back to where they have been? Or, as I've said probably three times so far throughout this season, is there finally hope that we are going to see things mixed up uh, throughout each individual race? Yeah, it's a huge contrast between what we saw in Singapore and what we saw in Japan. And the two tracks are extremely different. The width, first of all, in Japan is completely different to that that you get in uh, in Singapore. It is, there's more space for overtaking. You've got more opportunities to overtake throughout the course of the track. You've got to take into account that in Japan, anywhere that you run off, you run off into gravel. It affects tyre wear. It affects the car's uh, speed. And, of course, therefore, loses out on positions. Whereas in Singapore, you make an error, you're straight into the wall, and that's your race over. So 
Yeah, it, it's just what like complete polar opposites between Singapore and Japan. So I think you might get to see a bit more of that speed that I think Red Bull might have lost in, in Singapore. Might make it a bit more interesting um, and a bit more competitive at the front. I don't know necessarily if we're going to see Max as a runaway winner again in Japan. I think it, it's you might see a bit more speed, but I think Ferrari absolutely nailed everything. The strategy, the approach, the, the practices, the, the qualifying, the race. And I think that's going to do the confidence of the world of good. You know, we talk in all these sports about how the confidence helps and, and the momentum's built. I think for Ferrari, this win will do them the world of good. You know, everyone's been talking about, will Red Bull get upset? Are they just going to win every race this season? No, and it, it's all about, will it be the Mercedes? Will it be Ferrari? Or will it be the McLaren who had the update that will manage to do that? And I think, if anything, it's got to be, um, it's got to be Ferrari's, uh, confidence. So heading into this weekend, I could see Max back on the podium. I mean, I got two out of three last week. So I'm, I'm hoping for all three correct this week. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with a Carlos, uh, Charles Leclerc win. Ooh. Max second. Ooh. And I'm going to go signs third. Interesting. So a big weekend for Ferrari, you're expecting then? Yeah, that's what I mean. The, the confidence, you know, they've had so much scrutiny in the past over the strategy. You know, they could have been much more competitive with Max over last season and they didn't. And that, a large part of that has come down to the strategy and how much of a mess they made of it. So now the fact that they, they seem to be more understanding of that, they seem to have more of a, a focus on that. I think they won with only one pit stop being made. And uh, the only one in the top three that actually had more than one pit stop was that of Lewis Hamilton, who had two, but still managed to get himself on the podium. So, yeah, I think the speed that they seem to have picked up in uh, in Singapore, in the you know the the more constrict circuit, hopefully that'll, uh, that'll help them moving forward. And to, to answer what you said earlier about, you know, Will we see a more competitive sport for the rest of this season? We know it's Red Bull and we know it's Max Verstappen that's going to be winning it by the end of it. Heading into next season, these cars can now be worked on, can't they? I mean, drivers and, and teams know exactly where they are at the moment and they can focus on what they're doing for next season. So, Yeah, absolutely. And Sam, big Lando fan. You always like to uh, get involved when the, the name of Lando Norris is mentioned. Second place in Singapore. Do you oh, see boy. yourself... I don't know. I know you've mentioned that you've seen a, a few bits this season, and even the odd race because of Katie's dad watching it. Is he uh, is he going to be up at six a.m. to watch the race live this weekend? And can you see yourself potentially saying, "Give me a nudge, more, and I'll come down with you." It would not surprise me. He's a bit of an early bird, you know. He's a bit of an early bird, so it would not surprise me if he's up nice and early, um, bare feet, top window, ready for it, chilling out it for the day. Yeah, um, Lando. He's not going to get another podium. He's not going to do it again. But I said last week he weren't going to get a podium and he finished second. So I think if I just keep backing him not to finish on a podium, I think it's going to, he's going to probably end up winning one of these. So. I'm absolutely fine with that. Oh, he's going to win then. No, he's, he's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to win every race for the rest Ever. of his career. Yeah, you're a prick. Brilliant. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't see the race in Singapore, which... Typical is is probably, as we said, the best race of the season. Uh, but yeah, really interesting. I'm going to go with a Lewis win in Japan. Uh, great performance from Mercedes. Like I said, getting podium, that third place with Lewis and probably should have been third and fourth overall and potentially a second and third or a second and fourth place before that Russell cr- uh, crash. So I'm going to go with a Lewis win. 
I'm going to go with a signs second place, and I'm going to go with Max getting third place. So um, that's me hoping more than anything, says the Red Bull fan. But uh, hopefully another competitive race yet again. But that's Formula One. We'll review it next week. Um, and Aggie, will you be watching live? I will not, mate. No, I'm not waking up at six o'clock in the morning. Um, it's one of the few tracks that I am more than happy to watch in highlights later on in the day. Probably a little bit of like a pre-show in the warm-up to seven hours of commercial free football. But before then, obviously, we've got... Um, I'm not going to get up at six o'clock in the morning to watch it, I'm afraid. That's absolutely fair, mate. But again, episode 70, not only will we be discussing the big fight for this weekend, we will be discussing the big race as well. It's NFL time, lads. And Sam, I'm going to come to you first to kick us off with this. The Cincinnati Bengals just before the season started, announced that they had re-signed Joe Burrow to a contract five years, $275 million, which made him or makes him the highest paid NFL player of all time. And they've started this season 0-2. Um, halfway through the week two game this past weekend against the Ravens, Joe Burrow had thrown for about 120 yards across the six quarters to start that season. Did have a bit of a better second half, but they did uh, end up losing in a close loss to the Baltimore Ravens. So what do you think is going on? A lot of people expected them to win that week one game against the Browns. They didn't. They started shockingly against the Ravens and were just they had too much to do to get that win. So is the pressure on Burrow? We've we've seen that he does step up in those big moments, but is there potential for a bit of weight on his shoulders now, knowing that he's the highest paid player in NFL history? Oh, pressure. There's, there's pre- there should have been pressure on his shoulders from week one. You can't be the highest paid NFL player in, in history and go out and lay an egg like you did in week one. Week two has to be a bounce back game. You have to come out and say that was a blip. Um, watch me. I'm, I'm, I'm worth my money. And it, it just didn't happen, like I say, after six quarters of the season. It, it just struggled. And yeah, they pushed Ravens right to the end. In the end, uh, finished losing by three points. But it's 0-2. You, you, you're the highest paid footballer in the world. And, you, and you, you've lost your first two games. I think there's a stat somewhere that about 11% of the playoff teams that start 0-2 go on to make the playoffs. So straight away this season, they're up against it. Um I do believe they'll turn it around. I do believe that roster's got some phenomenal talent. Um, they just can't seem to put it together. They've got the um, they've got the Rams at home um, this this coming Monday night football, I believe it is. Um, and and, and that's, a, that's about as must win as it as it possibly can be for the Bengals. So this this game is is massive for for the Bengals. Uh, you probably look at this game pre season, knowing how much turmoil the Rams have been in with the roster churn and things like that, and you probably think this is a, a pretty pretty routine game for the Bengals but I don't believe so I think the Rams are fighting really well they've got that um, they've got that receiver I can't remember his name for the love for the life of me um, Aggie you should know mate he tore you a new one in week one who's that sorry Nakua is it uh, yeah, Puka oh, Nakua. Nakua yeah, Puka, yeah. Puka Nakua, that's right. Um, Fifth round rookie. Well, what a pickup he's been. He's, he's, he's already broken the record for most receptions by a rookie um, ever. Uh, I think it was something like over the first four games. I don't know. I can't remember the start. They said it on Good Morning Football this morning, but. They they was giving all the other rookies four games over the first four games rece- receptions and he'd already beat them in two and so he's got another two games on him so whatever stat it was it, it was quite bizarre but yeah Puka Nakua they're going to have to be very awake to uh, to keep an eye on him uh, Cooper Cup's not quite been been at it this year um, is he even playing 
Um, no, he's injured. He's on IR. He's who? Cooper Cup. Is that who you said, Sam? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's on IR, so he's out for a minimum of four weeks. But they've said there you go. <laughs> it's been very, it's been very, it's been very quiet then. To be fair, it's been on IR. Uh, yeah, so obviously the other guys are stepping up around, and Matt Stafford's uh, finding finding targets as as he always does. Uh, so yeah, it, it's going to be a really, really tough game for the Bengals, I think. And I, I do probably have them winning it, if I'm being honest. I probably just shade them winning that one. But by no means, if you ask me that pre-season, I, I wouldn't have even had to have a second think about it. So yeah, Bengals are going to win that. But now after seeing what the Rams are about and seeing what the Bengals are about even more so, it's going to be a very, very close game. And I think the Bengals might just come out on top, but Burrow's got to turn it on. Burrow has to turn it on at some point because right now, you can't pay someone that amount of money and and them not win them games on their own back. They, he should be able to put that team on his back, regardless of all the offensive weapons they've got. Obviously, they're all struggling. He's struggling to get the ball into their hands. So, yeah, he, um, this is the game where he's, he's at home on a Monday night football. He's under the lights. The uh, national tele, televised game he needs to show out because this is what they paid him for. Yeah, definitely. And Kemp, I'll come to you for this one, mate. If you are here, I'll pose the question. He is here. Um Bit of a soft spot for Bengals due to their uh, their um, I can't think what the word that I'm looking for is, but affiliation, 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 or their love for picking players in the draft from your college team, LSU, Jamar Chase, and of course uh, Joey Burrow. What do you think the issues are? Because that season, as we know, they he, he stepped up in the big games, the big moments. He, he dragged a lot of times the the Bengals to that Super Bowl uh, run where they were runners-up to the Rams that they're playing this weekend, including that big victory, come-from-behind victory, um, at Arrowhead against the Kansas City Chiefs. So where do you think the issues lie? They've kept a lot of the same players. That It's not like they've really lost big players other than maybe like Jesse Bates in that secondary on defence. But as we know, a lot of their struggles have been on the offensive side. Where do you think they're struggling so far this season from your point of view? I think it's as simple as teams have figured them out. I really do. I think um, when Joe Burrow first arrived in Cincinnati, they were a bit of a dumpster fire, been a dumpster fire for a very long time. And then, like you say, made the Super Bowl um, very, very quickly and have done pretty well for a couple of seasons uh, since Joe Burrow has been in situ in Cincinnati. Um, I think that first season, I think they were a bit of a shock to everybody. I don't think anybody saw it coming. I think they thought, ah, Cincinnati, we usually get a couple of victories over them a season. Let's just give it a go and uh, get out there on the field and we'll do whatever and we'll get the win. But I think it took a lot of people by surprise. Even though he won the NCAA championship with the LSU Tigers, um, even though he was a first round overall pick, I think a lot of people just thought, eh, Bengals, Bengals. But then they started surprising teams. They started, you know, with Jamar Chase and and Higgins and all these players that were were, were stepping up to the plate and and doing unbelievably well for the Bengals and dragging them, as you say, by hook or by crook to victories in the NFL. And a lot of people, again, thought they were a bit of a surprise. Um, And then at that point, when people realised they were serious, they then got on a roll. They then started getting momentum. It's very difficult to stop that. Joe Burrow's got to prove his worth now. You know, I love him. I've got a jersey on order. I've got an LSU jersey on order. It's literally on its way. Um, so I'll always love Joe Burrow for what he did in Louisiana State. Um, go Tigers. But they've, they've got to do something. Jamar Chase has, has got to do his best to, to be the number one wide receiver in the league. You know, Joe Burrow's got to do what he's got to do to be the best quarterback in the league. They've got to be a bit more inventive. They've got to be a little bit more creative. With the, with the offensive plays that they're running. Um, and, and they've got to prove their worth now. Now's the time in the trenches to prove your worth and to get wins in the NFL because this is when it starts to get really, really tough. Lost a couple of games. Now they need to really get back on the horse. Work really hard. Uh, and there's no substitute for hard work. 
um, and get that win. And then once they've got that win, the pressure will lift and they'll all start feeling a little bit better about themselves. But yeah, the Bengals need to sort themselves out and sharpish. They can't start 0-3, can they? They just can't start 0-3. So unacceptable. Not at all. It's absolutely unacceptable. Like you're saying, you know what? If they do start 0-3, everybody will be saying that they're right. This is unacceptable. And then that's when the pressure starts building even more. So they've got to relieve that pressure. They've got to get that win. Even if, like Neil Warnock says, it's a knob-ended 91st minute, they've got to get that win by hook or by crook and they've got to get themselves back in the win column and build that confidence up. Because after the first two games, I can look at different things they've done and the the the, the lack of creativity on offence and not getting the ball to Jamar Chase... But I think the biggest thing out of those two were those two defeats is just lack of confidence. And that's a real concern for the Cincinnati Bengals. And Aggie, I'll come to you for this one because that team that is going to be the team that needs to beat to go, uh, well, or to not go 0 3, should I say, is the St. Louis Rams. St. Louis Rams. Fucking hell, blast from past. I'm living in 2016. I am there. Uh, The LA Rams, um, as Sam mentioned there, and. They are a team that a lot of people, including myself, weren't expecting great things from this season. I was fuming to get Cooper Cup on the uh, auto draft, despite being a great player uh, for that reason. They did in week one beat your Seattle Seahawks, which was a shock. We've obviously given you a little bit of stick for saying or claiming that it was an easy win or an easy game and should be a win, which didn't happen. So where do you think they stand? Rams have got a bit of confidence. Bengals are, are probably at the lowest in terms of morale that they've been for for a good few seasons. Having seen the Rams play so far, having seen the Bengals struggle, are Bengals on the verge of going 0-3 or do you think this is a, a great game for them to get back on track? I think it's a very real possibility. I know in our predictions that we go for, I'll I'll spoil it for you and say that I've gone for the Bengals um, and that's on the provision that Joe Burrow plays. If Joe Burrow doesn't play, I I don't think... They get the win at all. It'll I've just play. been looking. Be they don't. They don't have a um, rushing touchdown all season. Their highest receiving yards is with T Higgins, which is eighty-nine yards across two games. Is absolutely atrocious. Um, the Rams do have a very different defense to what they had last year, but up against us, they look strong and comfortable. Against uh, the Forty ers they did lose but it was the one score and they took them the distance. They made it very difficult for them and made them very uneasy. I think this is a Rams side that people are overlooking and I'll obviously hold my hands up and say, yeah, you're right. And the first week I said, this should be an easy win for us, but that's going on the back of, I know Kemp told me, don't worry about preseason. That's going on the back of, you know, they didn't have a good preseason. They've lost a lot of good players. They've got no Cooper Cup and this Nakua bloke's just come from absolutely nowhere and, and, you know, turned things on its head and they are, you know, a decent side even without Cooper Cup they're starting to show that I think people are overlooking him and it's giving him that sort of you know where the underdog sort of momentum if that makes sense as opposed to the pressure they're playing without it whereas they're going up against the Bengals side now that you've already said 0-2 can't afford to go 0-3 that team is way too good to be 0-3 so all the pressure's on them Um but if no Joe Burrow I could see it being a Rams win but on the provision that Burrow plays I, I'm going to back the Bengals Interesting, interesting indeed. Now, when we preview, or sorry, yeah, preview the upcoming week, we are now going into week three. I'd like to pick a couple of games for us to discuss. And the first one is the game that kicks us off this week. And, and Cam, it is the Giants travelling to San Francisco to take on the San Francisco 49ers, probably the strongest and most impressive team out of the two weeks so far. Giants off the back of a, a shoddy and shocking first half performance turned it around for a great comeback win against the Arizona Cardinals. And Cam, I will leave you till the end for this one because they are your team when it comes to preview and prediction. So, Sam, is it a uh, 
nobody's, you know, is it a foregone conclusion? Is it a comfortable Niners win? Or have you potentially got a uh, a different option for this game? No, it's a, uh, <clears throat> for me, it's a foregone conclusion. They've, the Giants have played one one decent half of football in, in two games, so for me, I, I can't I can't back them at all. Uh, the Niners, between them and the Cowboys, I think probably looked the two best teams in the entire NFL. So I, I think they've got a massive ta- uh, task ahead of them. I would have thought it'd be a pretty a bit of a closer game had Saquon been fit, but obviously Saquon went down, looked quite a nasty injury. Um, last week. So, yeah, for that reason alone, I'm going for a comfortable Niners win by 13. Okay, interesting. And, and Aggie, that's, that's San Francisco 49er team is your biggest threat to taking the NFC West uh, division. You mentioned in the predictions, as I said, Seahawks going 12-5, and five, a very positive season. Um, again, having seen what you've seen from the San Francisco 49ers so far, is it just going to be a case of Giants trying to keep it as close as possible or do you see them having a chance? I think, like what Sam said, it's a foregone conclusion. I think the Giants are just going to have to try and keep it you know, as, as close as possible, try and make it as competitive as possible. That, you know, Like you say, without Barkley, it maybe could have been a bit closer. But in general, they just haven't seemed at the races at all. They don't seem even close to a playoff side that we saw last year You know, that upset a couple of teams. Um, and I think the 49ers are... There or thereabouts, one of the strongest sides in the NFL, let alone the NFC. Um, and I think in the yeah in the NFC. Um, and I before the season started, back the Eagles to be the side that you know would be stand out. But now the 49ers and Brock Purdy, obviously last year's Mister Irrelevant, just hasn't missed a beat. He's continued with that same sort of form that he had last season. Is he not close to setting a record? Is it for like the, first, the most touchdowns in your first certain amount of games or something along those lines. I think it is. He's not far away from that. And, you know, McCaffrey's just lighting up absolutely everything. And Brandon Ayuk, as long as he can stay healthy. And now Debo Samuel's starting to find a bit more rhythm. I think he's got a couple of people that he's got to answer the questions for. So, yeah, I think it's uh, going to be a strong 49ers win. I'm going to go by uh, 17. Interesting. And I'll very quickly put mine in. San Francisco, absolute phenomenal. I've got them uh, as the runners-up as it stands against the Bengals, which I might have to move my chair at some point soon, maybe uh, maybe in episode 70. But yeah, it should be a, a, a comfortable win. I do think the Giants will be dogged. I don't think Niners will run away with it. I'll go for a 10-point win. I, I think that Niners will get ahead early and comfortable and, and not push themselves too hard. Um, you know, so I think it will be close on the scoreline, but not as close on the field, and they'll just take it steady and, and get through to to next next week. Ken, question one: Have you booked tomorrow off to stop up and watch Thursday night football? And question two: Are you going to give some giants some love? Uh, answer to question one is no, absolutely not. Last time I did that, I didn't even fucking end up watching it anyway, and I was really happy that I didn't because we got absolutely battered by the Cowboys. Um, and number two, unfortunately, no, I'm not going to be giving the New York Giants any love and predicting them to win this game. I think, as Sam mentioned, if Saquon Barkley was in the picture, might be a little bit closer. Uh, but with Barkley out, it looks like Breeder will be uh, under centre and, and, and be, uh, the running back for us. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think um, I don't think it's going to go too well. I've got us losing by seven. I don't think we're going to get absolutely blown out. I think, like you say, Dawson, it will be dogged. I think we'll do what we can. I think we looked so much better in the second half against the Arizona Cardinals, we were absolutely dreadful. And it just so happens that when I don't watch the Giants, we do we do pretty all right um, most of the time. Didn't happen in the first week against the Cowboys, but I went to bed 
uh, and, and I decided I wasn't going to watch any more of the Cardinals game at half time. And then we ended up coming back and, and winning in dramatic fashion. So don't think there's going to be any of those heroics tonight. Hopefully there is, uh, but I can't quite see it. I'm going to San Francisco by seven. Like I say, I think Christian McCaffrey's going to have a fucking field day. Anybody that's got him in fantasy, good luck, because tonight you're probably going to get about 30 points. Our run defence has been pretty fucking shocking. Um, so I can't see us doing much to stop Christian McCaffrey. But fingers crossed we can put up a good performance. Fingers crossed we can take away a good performance with it, even if we don't take away a win, um, and then kick on towards the second half of the season. Because I do think, I do trust in Dayball. We've improved our team, uh, and I do think we will pick up towards the back end of the season. And I do think we'll start getting towards that wild card spot. But uh, but yeah, not tonight. And uh, and the San Francisco 49ers are going to win it, like you say, Dawson, fairly comfortably at a canter. Okay, I'll uh, give you a little uh, Easter egg to go and find when the episode's out tomorrow. But because tonight will be the Knights, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if there's ever an opportunity, you took it. Fair play to yeah, you. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll. Uh, it, there was a long time between you saying it and me waiting, but uh, it's in there, mate. So don't it's always worry. worth it. It's always worth it. Always worth it if you say it out loud. You're bulletproof. So uh, another game that I wanted to mention is one of the later games on uh, on Sunday. I just I'm just getting over now. Sorry, no, it's a six o'clock game, and it's a game between the Chargers and the Vikings. Two teams that have started zero and two, despite really positive and, and exciting offensive performances. Um, Vikings in week one did suffer a shocking loss against the Buccaneers 2017 and week two Thursday night football lost a close game to the Eagles 34-28. Chargers in week one lost a shootout against the Miami Dolphins 36-34 and lost in overtime last week against the Titans. So two very close losses for each of the teams. Kirk Cousins, probably surprisingly, even though we are only two weeks in, currently sits as the number one quarterback in fantasy football. So, again, two very strong offensive teams that are, are suffering very close losses. Sam, obviously Vikings are in your division. You you fancied them for that division this year. Where do you think, or not where do you think, but what do you think is the potential missing piece for each of those two teams that are, are not turning those close losses into wins? Well, first of all, let me correct you, mate, because you're absolutely wrong there. I backed the Bears for the division, which I've already oh, you did. Sorry, yeah, completely written off. If you remember, I was just about to say, it's almost like I know what I'm talking about because I fancy the Vikings to have a down season this season. And yeah, yeah. lo and behold, they're 0-2. I called them frauds last year. Aggie kept dogging me for it. Um, and, and there we are, they're 0-2. It's exactly what I said is going to happen and has happened. They faced, they faced one good team in two. The Buccaneers, you can't really lose to the Buccaneers at home. Um, and then they've lost to the Eagles, which I can kind of forgive them for that one. Um, but if they want to, if they want to be up there in the in these uh, in these runnings towards the end, they're going to have to be beating these sort of teams, and they're just not. So it's a huge, huge game for both teams. Um, I'm just trying to work out who who is it actually a bigger game for, and I think that's that's quite a difficult question to uh, to answer, really. But um, I think the Vikings. They've got that much that much around them. Like you say, Kirk Cousins is ranking the number one in fantasy at the minute for, for a quarterback performance, and it's just not quite adding up. Um, so, yeah, for me, the Vikings are on, on par with what I said were going to happen pre-season, um, and I'll let someone else take over the Chargers segment because the Vikings are whatever I said they were going to be, and they haven't surprised me at all. Yeah, just very quickly put your name to a prediction on that one, mate, where who do you see getting the first uh, win of the season, or even a tie, to be fair? Yeah, it's definitely not going to be a tie. Um, I'm just having a quick look. It's, is it at Vikings? It is, isn't it? I've lost, I've yeah. lost the game. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, 
Chargers. I'm going to go Chargers. I'm going to compound the the Vikings' misery. It's going to be very close, very, very close. Get your money on over 70 points scored. Um, I think I think it's going to be a, a 45-42, some stupid sort of game. And I think I think both offences are going to be looking very tasty and both defences are going to look, be looking equally bad. And I'm going to say the Chargers might just pip them. I think um, Keenan Allen is playing some unbelievable football at the minute. And I would know that better than anybody because he was sat on my fancy bench last week. So there we go. Absolutely. And I'll quickly come in on, on this one. You asked the question there, someone, who is it a bigger game or who can't afford to lose more out of the two? And I think the answer is the, is the LA Chargers. I think the Vikings, we know how there's a lack of depth in the NFC this season. I think they could potentially afford to go 0-3 and then recover that. But just as much as the Bengals can't really afford to go 0-3, I think that stands for the Chargers as well. In a division with um, Chiefs, of course, Broncos, who will only get better as the season goes on, as Wilson and Peyton get used to working together. The strength of depth that is in that conference, I, I think, yeah, just to answer your question, I think I think it's the Chargers that can't afford to lose that one more and go 0-3 for quite similar reasons that we mentioned with the Bengals there. But, uh, Ken, what are your thoughts on the game, mate? Have you got a prediction? Do you, and again, same question for Sam, really. Or that I gave to Sam, who do you think comes out on top and, and gets the first win of the season? Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, Vikings have looked, as you say, Sam, they, they've looked like fraud so far this season. You, you hit the nail on the head. Um, but Chargers have got the worst defence in the NFL, 32 ranked, completely dead last. Um, they've been absolutely shocking on defence. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a it's a game that's really important for both teams, as we've mentioned, um, and uh, and it's. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a toss-up, in my opinion. I'm going to go with the Vikings by three. I think it's going to be a really close, really high-scoring game. Um, but I think Cousins will, will do just enough in the end and the Vikings will get that win. And uh, it's going to be a very, very difficult start to the season with, with the Chargers going 0-3, purely down to the uh, to the lack of uh, the lack of quality on defence so far. So I'm going to say Vikings, as I say, by three. Interesting. I'm going to go Vikings by a tuddy. And then, Aggie, I'll let you give your thoughts on the game and the prediction. I'm going to go Vikings by more than one score. Um, I think, like you guys have already said, you've pretty much covered everything that I need to cover by the defences are just equally poor. Um, and it is going to be a high-scoring game. But I think the difference is going to be made in the absence of Austin Eckler. I think he's such an important piece for that Chargers offence that whilst Keenan Allen is playing well, their run game has been made kind of irrelevant. I don't think Kelly's going to have the same sort of impact that Eckler does and I think that'll be the difference maker and I think in the end I'm going to go Vikings by 10 I think because I think they'll just get a field goal at the end that'll just finish the game off and and kill the momentum that the Chargers might be trying to build but yeah I think especially now they've got of course Kamaker's joining as well that that running room looks a lot better. I don't think Kamaker's a bad running back at all. I think something that's happened is behind the scenes between him and the Rams. I wouldn't have him up there as elite with, you know, your McCaffrey's or anything like that. But, you know, I think he could do you a job. And the way Matheson started this season, I, I don't see why he shouldn't be starting in Minnesota. So, yeah, I think by two scores, I'm going to go 10 points. Uh, it's a very um, fair point in terms of the, the Eckler thing that you mentioned there. And it's Kirk Cousins at six o'clock on Sunday and he's... He's an all-timer in that slot, isn't he? So, uh, yeah, that's why I've got the Vikings with the uh, win there. Episode 69 in the book, lads. Just before we close the book on the NFL, I'm going to put you all on the spot here after week two, the way too early to tell, as they say. Who, if you had to pick one team that has been your most your biggest surprise 
so far this season, who would you be? And it could be just a surprise. It doesn't have to be positive. It can be, you know, it could be negative. It can be anything. Um, who would be your biggest surprise package? And Aggie, I'm going to start with you and put you on the spot immediately. You want a team, yeah? Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you what, I'll go first. I'll go first. Seeing as I put you all on the spot, I'll, I'll, I'll give you all a little bit of time. I'm going to go for the Washington Commanders. I think they, they deserve a lot of plaudits. I think no one's talking about them. They're 2-0 in a really difficult division. Yes, the first game they did beat the Cardinals, but then they come back and they beat, they beat the Broncos in Denver, which I think is a fucking unbelievable result, to be fair. They scored 35 points. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people predict them to be uh, to be quite poor this season. So for me, uh, it would be the Washington Commanders as the biggest surprise package after two weeks. Uh, Skin, go. Yeah, I, I know you said could be positive or negative, but I think if we lamp towards the negative, Bengals would probably sweep the room with that one. So I'm going to go positive like you. And for very similar reasons, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you know, we know that a lot of people had them written off because of Brady retiring, Baker coming in, and what were they going to do? Probably not very well. But like the Commanders, they've started two and zero. Granted, they played a, a Chicago Bears team that don't look like they've improved at all. But in week one, as I mentioned earlier, did get a win against the uh, Minnesota Vikings. So uh, yeah, let's give uh, let's give Baker some love and Mike Evans as well. Still, despite not having Brady, a phenomenal Elite. player, and yeah, and and the rumours are that he won't be re-signing. He could potentially be a free agent in the next off season. So that uh, that should be very interesting to watch. Aggie, you threw up your hands in the air, so I can only assume I've took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers off you. You can, of course, still go with them if you want and add your own reasons that I might not have mentioned, or you're going to try and find someone else. Um, I don't know. I I, I like the idea of Tampa Bay because everybody thought you know Baker Mayfield's not. Not a, a, a decent quarterback, even at that level. You know, they got the first win of the season against Mate, you uh, the Vikings. you backed him to be an MVP not so long ago. Yeah, I did. But I'm not everybody, am I? And <laughs> I'm in my ago. second year watching the NFL, so, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, no, um, I think he's made a good start to the season. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think Kemp was a bit surprised at your overreaction there. <laughs> no, I overreact to everything. He should be used to it by now. Um, but yeah, no, I think the books have had a very good start to the season. Um, I think just to change it up a little bit, I'm going to go with uh, the New Orleans Saints. I think in that division, it's been, um, Ooh, Packers next. I think there's, uh, there's three of them, isn't there? That's all on two and oh. Yeah. For the Falcons, the Saints and the books. Um, and the only team that's on oh and two is the only team in the NFC South I said was going to win it. So nice. Yeah, obviously. Um, but yeah, even without Alvin Kamara, you know, they've got a strong run game in uh, Jamal Williams, who I know has just gone out injured, but Kamara's back next week. You know, Alave, Michael Thomas, and the introduction of Derek Carr seems to have induced a new bit of confidence in that sort of passing game. So yeah, I think they've started the season quite nicely in a nice 2-0, uh, 2-0 lead. MP, who do you go for, mate? Yeah, it, it kills me. It pains me to say this because they are our most hated rivals uh, for me. How the, about uh, them? How about, how about them, them boys, the star? How about, how about them Cowboys this season Ooh. so far? Wow, what what a fucking juggernaut they've been in the first two Micah weeks. Micah Parsons. Ooh, I mean, baby. yeah, they, they, they put up 40 points against the Giants and we were absolutely obliterated and terrible in that game. Um, uh, and we were pretty bad in the first half against the Cardinals as well. But then they went out and put 30 points up against the Jets, which I thought before the game, 
Well, this is pretty impressive, to be fair. The Jets' defence doesn't look as though it's um, it's any slaps this season. Um, and uh, and it was a surprise to me that, that they, uh, they won by 20 points in that game as well. So 70 points from the first two games of the season for the Dallas Cowboys. It's a very, very impressive return. I think a lot of people were kind of thinking about Dak. The Cowboys need to move on from Dak. He's never really going to do anything. He's kind of a nearly man. He's he's never really lived up to the potential this season. Dak Prescott and and the running game in Dallas has, uh, has has really really stepped up to the plate. So as much as it kills me to say it, the Dallas Cowboys have been my surprise this season for how good they are, but for how much it hurts me as well. It kills me to say it. The Dallas Cowboys. Fair enough. Just want to give an honourable mention. Obviously, we've mentioned all the all the teams that are two and out. The the Atlanta Falcons as well. They've started the season really well. We played Green Bay, my boys, last weekend. And to be, if I'm being completely honest, I thought we was probably the better side. Uh, we did lose right at the death. Uh, but their running game, Jesus Christ, they have got a two headed monster with Bijan Robinson and uh, Tyler Algier. So, yeah, I think I think they're going to be quite quite good this year. Actually, I'm going to surprise a lot of people. I think they're going to be probably knocking on the playoff door come come January because if you can run the ball in the playoffs then uh, then then you you're onto something and, and my god B. John Robinson looks like one of the one of the, the pickups of the year so far. Worthy um, of a first round pick in the fantasy draft, would you say? So far, I'd say so. So far is um yeah, he's not um I, I won't I won't question that you go on Dawson. Follow up question because Kemp was obviously asking that a bit tongue in cheek, but a lot of the, the, the discord off the back of the draft was was he worthy of a top ten pick? that the Falcons sent off to use their number eight pick to uh, take him again. Too early to tell. And we know the the conversations around running backs at the moment, but number eight pick overall, top 10 pick. Is he shown that he's potentially worth it considering what he could do and is doing for that team? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you just ask yourself, you ask yourself a question. Do uh, Does he make them better? Yes. Can can he win them games? Yes. For that reason alone, it's it's 100%. Like, as you say, way too early to tell. It's, it's two games in, but he doesn't look like a rookie out there. He, he were breaking ankles left, right and centre against us. And historically, we've never had a great run defence. So maybe we did look, make him look a little bit better than perhaps he should have been. But yeah, he absolutely gassed. was 124 yards on the ground. Um 19 carries as well. So they really, really shoved it down our throat. 6.5 yards average. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, just thought I'd give out the the Atlanta Falcons a bit of love there as well, seeing as no one no one had picked them. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, that, Kemp, you, you mentioned the Cowboys there. It's very quickly showing, uh, sharing sorry, the division with the Eagles. I thought, right, when's that blockbuster matchup or potential blockbuster matchup uh, going to take place for the first of two occasions this season? It's week nine. So we're a little bit off discussing that, but if both those teams go into week nine on, you know, undefeated or only one loss, we're, we're, it's it's the big game on that Sunday evening in week nine. So that should be fun to preview, depending on what the records are at the time. Absolutely, yeah, that's it. Closing the book on episode sixty nine, lads. What I've got planned for the weekend, Aggie. I'll start with you, mate. Which uh, it's going to be a big conversation next week when we talk about your upcoming mm-hmm. weekends. But uh, what have you got planned for this one? Yes, mate, it is uh, my last game for the foreseeable future covering uh, the local sides. And it is Clay Cross against Dronfield for me. The A61 derby is there billing it, so uh, that should be good. <laughs> up the that's, town. Got, that, that's got to be up there with the Chatsworth Cup at it between town and Manchester. A61 derby, Jesus Christ, that's fantastic, I love it. Uh, but yeah, the billing it is that, so that should be a good game. In, uh, Five wins on the spin. 
John Field Town five wins on the bounce, Aggie up the town. Well, Here we I, go. I, I, I was fucking cross up the cross. Hey, I, 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 I was. Uh, <laughs> I was just about to say to Aggie, give us a prediction on the game. But fuck it, there seems to be a lot of investment, so everyone go around the room very quickly. Aggie, play cross <laughs> versus Drumfield. What's your prediction? To a piece. Can... I'll have a piece. <laughs> oh, hello, uh, Drumfield Town three 0 Sam? <laughs> I have no idea of these two teams involved, but because Clay Cross are only a stone throw away, I'm going Clay Cross 4 0. <laughs> <laughs> I have absolutely no idea either. Bromfield 1 0. Aggie, carry on with your weekend, mate. Chris Millington's Red and Black Army up the, up the town. Here we go. <laughs> um, Sunday, what am I doing Sunday? Um, I'm not quite sure at the moment. And then I know, obviously, in the afternoon, I'll probably watch a bit of the, uh, the Formula 1 highlights ready for, of course, next week. And then. Uh, Red zone from six o'clock. I'll tell you what you're doing Sunday, mate. You're going to wake up, watch Japan, watch Arsenal, Tottenham at half four, and then red zone at six. There you go. Well, there you go then. Problem solved. There's your plan. There's your plan for the weekend. Kempi, have we got any? So it doesn't sound bad at all. Kempi, any uh, golfing plans this weekend? If you have, what are you uh, doing? Where are you doing it? If not, what are you doing instead? And of course, if you are playing golf, what are you doing around it? 18 minutes past seven on Saturday morning at Bonday Golf Club, looking for a nice little 18 hole. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Um, Saturday afternoon, not quite sure. I'm I'm going away next week. I've kept that kind of under wraps a little bit, but I'm uh, I'm going to Dublin next week. Dawson, you've helped me uh, pick out a very nice hotel. Nice. So thank you for that. Tuesday You're to Friday welcome, next week. So nice little restaurant as well, I believe. Nice little restaurant as well. Yeah, absolutely right. And I can reveal straight away that I forgot to mention before, and it's an exclusive. I won't be on next week's recording because I will be in Dublin. So we'll have to catch out, catch up about Zhang and uh, and Joe mm. Joyce uh, the week after. But yeah. Uh, we're going to be enjoying Dublin next week. Um, but this weekend, like I say, Saturday morning golf. And then Sunday afternoon, I'll be down at beautiful downtown Bramall Lane to watch Sheffield United against Newcastle United. Dawson, what about you? Well, mate, full circle. I did mention earlier that I was going to come back to you on that one. I didn't want to push you for it at the time because I knew we were going to be uh, talking about it during the weekend. So Sheffield United yet to win. Newcastle, we spoke about uh, last week and they, they did get a good 1-0 home win against Brentford. And uh, a, a sterling, heroic performance in Milan uh, this past week in the Champions League. Can you see yourself getting a result or is there some confidence coming from Newcastle in Sunday evening? Yeah, I think if we had a Lou McBurney available, I think we may potentially be getting a result. Played absolutely out of his skin against Spurs, won everything um, and did really well. Um, but unfortunately, Ali McBurney was sent off for dissent. Notice how I wasn't bitching and moaning about the new rules there, Aggie. Um, and I think Newcastle, for that reason, will get a closely fought 1-0 win. Fair enough. And just very quickly answer your question, and thank you for asking what I have planned. Right now, I could not tell you. Other than uh, getting the feet up at 6 o'clock Sunday evening to watch the evening's NFL action, I have absolutely no idea what I have got planned for this weekend. So I'm going to guess it'll be a pretty steady one, a pretty chilled one. And um, that's all right with me. Sam, what have you got planned for this weekend? Yeah, same as you, mate. Not uh, not a lot, really. Uh, definitely looking forward to that Sunday with the North London derby and, and I would say Red Zone, but it won't be. It'll be, it'll be Packers Saints. So I'm watching that at six and I cannot wait for that one. See a bit more of the uh, the love train and see how he got on in his first home match. Uh, but yeah, Saturday is going to be a bit of a free day for me. I think I might pop over to my mum and dad's. I've not seen them since they've got... Well, I did see my dad Saturday, actually, when I went to football with him. But yeah, um, I haven't seen my mum for a bit, so I'm probably going to go over there at some point. Uh, and yeah, same as Kemp, obviously, I'm away next weekend. Not quite the glitz and the glamour of, um, of uh, Dublin. It's only Skegness, but 
it looks like the weather is going to pick up as well next week, so I'm quite happy about that. Uh, and I have got next Friday booked off as well, so I will be staying up late for the Thursday night Packers football, Lions. which is Packers Lions. So everything's kind of dropped nicely in place for me. So yeah, I'm ready. For, I'm looking forward to next weekend. Happy days, mate, and I look forward to discussing that with you during episode seventy. And uh, Aggie as well, mate. Us three will uh, will take the helm. We'll walk on and we'll. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll tuck away Kempy's combat corner for a week so we don't get too deep into the uh, boxing fallout for Ready for When Kemp returns. But lads, thank you as always. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy your nights. Enjoy your night.